Smoke Screen Podcast is brought to you by Creative Designs and more. It's Creative Designs, the letter N, more. Check out Wanda at Creative Designs and more on Facebook, or you can also check out on TikTok at C Wanda B. That's S E E Wanda B. The letter B, man. I'm gonna tell you, y'all see my lighters I have, man. She does a great job. Any kind of party favor you need, come into your party to design it. Just let Wanda handle, and I bet you she'll make it right for you. I promise you, man. Knock on wood, man. I promise you, dog. I would not lie to you. You ain't never lied to you on smoke screen, man. Make sure you checking out Creative Designs and more, man. Wanda will set you straight. I promise you, we'll get you right, man. Make sure you checking it out. And that's for our sponsors for today's episode. Yeah, I'm just trying to survive and show the world our significance. Don't need no suit or tie just to show my business is legitimate. Purchase some real estate and meet the dope realer tub. My, I know you feeling him. You probably see me on tour. I know you feeling him showing love at my shows and shit. Oh man, I just made another one. I just smashed the show. I'm trying to smash another one. I just rolled some. I'm trying to smoke another one. I've been always doing me and never did another one. Yeah, it's one. Took a quick blunt run, feeling good, feeling great, like it's the first of the month, but really it's the twenty-some. Brock, listen, I'm gonna have to call you back, okay? I didn't press record on the episode. I'm gonna have to call you back. All right, I promise you, I'm gonna call you back. We're gonna set this docket up. I'm gonna give you a call back. All right, all right. Hey, send Michelle the family love, man. Stay black, bro. Love you, man. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Boy, my apologies, man. They just keep calling and trying to get on these episodes, man. That was Barry O right there. You know what I'm saying? You never know who's going to be on Smoke Screen, bro. You never know, man. But welcome back to another episode of Smoke Screen Podcast. It's your partner, Brandon, here on this beautiful February 27th. Boy, it's a beautiful Monday right here. We're going to start this week off good, man. Listen, I got a great episode for you, man. As you've seen from the artwork and the visuals that I've dropped on Smoke Screen Podcast on IG and also One Smoke underscore screen on Twitter, I done dropped some visuals, man. I done told you. Man, this was so hard to keep in the bag, man. This was so hard to keep in the bag, man. One time for my producer, my co-producer, my wife, telling me, just hold on. Just be strong. Don't say nothing about it. But, boy, I want to pop my... About this one, dog. I got Nikki Free with me on today. That's right. I got Nikki Free, the former Agriculture and Consumer Services Commissioner. Yeah, but that ain't her job no more. That ain't her job, boy. That ain't her job. She got a new calling now, man. The Florida Democratic Chair. That's right, man. That's right, man. This was before the election. I got Nikki Freed on with me today, man. Nikki comes from Miami, Florida. She went to UF. And more importantly, Nikki's about what she talking about, man. She's staying 10 toes. I like to call her Nikki 10 toes. Because she's staying 10 toes on what she believes in and what she's fighting for, man. And I appreciate that to the utmost, bro. I appreciate that to the utmost, man. Um, Today's episode, uh, we talk about everything. We talk about the medical marijuana. We talk about black farmers, her time as an ad commissioner for Florida, and her new job, the chair of the Florida Democratic Party, man. I can't say no more, man. I don't want to hold you too much in this intro, bro. On the other episodes of Smoke Screen, um, you can go back and listen to any episode of Smoke Screen that's not dated. Even digging in the ashtray, you see what I talked about in digging in the ashtray has come to light now with um, what the governor's doing in the state of Florida um, and different bills that are being passed in the state of Florida. I was trying to tell you back then when I was seeing it happen, 
and now you seeing it all play out how he wants it to play out before he runs for the president job. Um, but Nikki's going to stand in front of that, and the Democratic people of Florida are going to try to stand in front of that to let people know what's going on, man. But it's a great episode, man. I don't want to hold you too long in this intro, bro, because I want you to feel it. But on the other episodes of Smoke Screen Podcast, on the next couple ones, you're going to see what this journey has been, about, been like, man. This has been a, a great journey right here, bro. Patience. It's key. Patience is key, man. You got to have patience in this thing, bro. As much as much as quick as uh, stuff, information get passed out, as quick as stuff move from day to day, you got to have patience, bro. Your patience got to be strong. It's got to be strong, boy. And I show my will on this one. Knock on wood, I show my wood on this one, dog. I appreciate y'all for checking this episode out. It's a great episode, man. One will, I appreciate you for dropping the intro. Oh, man, you got to check out One Will. He's fresh from Florida with it, man. You got to check out One Will. Uh, Creative Designs and more. Also, make sure you're checking that out, man, on Facebook and TikTok, man. See Wanda B. Make sure you're getting your designs ready. Easter coming up. Get your Easter baskets ready, man. She can do Easter baskets, uh, summer, graduation. Kids graduate soon, uh, so you can get your graduation baskets, get your drop cut, dropouts. Cut out, man. Uh, but just come on, man. Mess with what we got going on here at Smoke Screen, bro. I told you, I told you, I told you. Wherever I go, I'm bringing the people that's behind me that's really, really, really and truly got my back. I'm bringing them right along with me, man. As far as God let me go with this thing, man. I appreciate y'all for rocking with me. This is a great episode, man. Nikki will be on, knock on wood. She will be on later on once she gets everything settled with her new position. She will be back on so we can talk a little bit more about medical marijuana and um, how we need to get this thing right in the state of Florida. Also, the other things we need to get right, and she'll probably update us on what she's trying to do to build up the Democratic Party, man. I think her her views and what she wants to do, it, it, it aligns pretty good, man. It aligns pretty good with what we need, you know. She's, she's fairly young, you know. She's fairly young. She's not old like... Some of the older people um, that's in office, um, she's not old, so she's fairly fairly young with it. So she understands um, our voices, man. And also, too, man, one last thing. We talk about the black and Jewish relationship. That's a great talking point, man. That's towards the end of it, but that's a great talking point because that relationship needs to be built back, needs to be built up and built back, man. We need to all come together, man. All minorities all people who think alike, man, come together, man, to fight this stuff that we see going on in the state of Florida. Because like I told you before, when I had Natasha Sutherland on, we got to fight for them people in Mississippi and Louisiana who may not, their voices might not be able to reach up to Ron D. But we got them right here. We got to stop it before it gets spread across this country, man. I appreciate y'all for rocking with Smoke Screen Podcast. I appreciate y'all for sticking with me, man. It's been a long journey right here. It's been a long journey, but we're going to keep on going with it, man. I appreciate y'all for rocking with me, man. Appreciate y'all for, for being you, man. Y'all have a good week, man. Enjoy this episode. Spread the word about Smokescreen, man. I see people talking about defund podcasts. Listen, when I hit this mic, when I hit record on this mic, I don't play around with it, bro. I don't play around with it because I know how quickly it could be taken from me. So I don't play around with it, man. So please spread the word about Smokescreen Podcast. Please spread the word about all the good stuff. Cut different. I appreciate y'all, man. Rock, I appreciate you, man. Jamie, I appreciate you, dog.
Y'all doing a great job, man. I wore that shirt. That was their shirt that I wore in the episode, the Cut Different shirt. Um, make sure you're supporting everything that we got going on, man. Respecting our hoopties. <laughs> Respecting our hoopties, man. That's another episode of Smoke Screen Podcast. I appreciate you going on to the episode, man. This is a good one right here, man. Nikki, one more time, bro. I appreciate you, bro. And keep standing 10 toes on them, dog. Keep standing 10 toes on them, man. The fight continues, bro. I just smashed the show on trying to smash another one. I just rolled some on trying to smoke another one. I've been always doing me, ain't never did another one. Oh man, I just made another one. I just smashed the show, I'm trying to smash another one. I just rolled some, I'm trying to smoke another one. I've been always doing me, ain't never did another one. Yeah. Yeah, man. We do what we do, cause that's what we do. y'all welcome back man so if you're listening to this live i appreciate you for listening if you're listening on the audio version i go back and watch it on youtube man. it's gonna be a great episode man it's gonna be a great episode as you can see i have nikki free with me on today on smoke screen podcast man nikki how are you doing today i'm doing well i'm doing well i'm so excited for this oh i'm, I'm excited man i'm excited you can see it on your face man i'm excited for this man but uh nikki before we get started, I like to have my guests introduce themselves in their own words. In the intro on the audio version, I give a little introduction, but who's Nikki Freed in your words? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of very complex. Uh, you know, I first of all, born and raised in Miami. Um, I went to then to the University of Florida for undergrad. My master is my law degree. Um, practice all types of law from commercial litigation. Um, then was a public defender for three and a half years in Alachua County. Um, but then came back down to South Florida, representing homeowners from the foreclosure crisis, all these positions that I've held afterwards, and obviously our commissioner of agriculture. But I think your question was, who is Nikki Freed? Um, and, and that's, you know, you can read all these things on a resume, but, you know, at the end of the day, who I am uh, is somebody who gets up every day and says, how can I change the world? How can I make the world a better place? How do I make sure that we're getting rid of inequities and, and um, making sure that that nepotism, uh, you know, whether it's on the corporate side or the government side, goes wayside? Um, I'm just somebody who gets up every day and, and does, you know, um, try to do things that are good. You know, I always laugh because people said, you know, one, you know, obviously an attorney, like I sometimes have to dress in suits, but like I would much rather have like my Birkenstocks and my T-shirts and um, because that's really kind of who I am, too. So I kind of have like this both like sides of me. But, you know, I guess that's what makes me me. With the agriculture job, I know you can do I watch all your interviews and stuff, man. But uh, uh, with agriculture, you can wear your slides sometimes out there. I saw you a couple of times in jeans and slides when you're out on the field like that. So. That was a yep. nice little position right there for you, man. But uh, are you you still love UF as much as you did when you uh, graduated? So yes and no. So first of all, uh, without a doubt, I bleed orange and blue. Like there is no changing how I bleed orange and blue. Um, I am a triple gator. I'm a student body president there. I'm on the board of trustees still for the law school. Um, so I definitely love UF as much. However, however, my football team isn't doing these days. So I am not a fair weather friend. Uh, I actually just two days ago re-upped uh, re my, my season tickets. Um, so right. I'm not a fair weather friend. I will be there. Um, but but I'm also not not always happy with things that are happening on, on the campus uh, these days with the Board of Trustees and some of the things that are going on and suppressing some speech that's happening and going after professors. So some of that stuff is not making me happy. Um, but I love my Gators and I, I love overall the institution. 
Yeah, I got a um a sports podcast with my friend Thomas, uh aftermath podcast. And this year was kinda we went to the Florida State Florida game. We was up in the champion box. I was I was up there wild up, man. And next thing you know, it was a rough season for us. It was a rough season. But you were yep. talking about the, the president, man. Um I know you we're jumping ahead, but President uh Sassy now, um that how what do you got anything to say about that? You know, I've been you know, I I don't know him. Um, I, I don't like how, how the process worked uh, to to have him appointed. Um, very concerned that the professors and the students on campus um, are, are, are definitely not happy. And the board of trustees and the presidential search committee didn't listen to, to those to those those state huge stakers. And I've been on presidential search committees. I was when I was student body president right afterwards, I was still a member of the trustees and I was put on to the presidential search committee. Uh, in 2003. And I know how important the voices of the students have to be on on that panel and how the professors and the so the fact that how a process was done, you know, President Sass definitely has made in his career some 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 comments that would um, not bode well to run such a diverse university as the University of Florida. Um, But, you know, I'm I love my university and I will be the first ones to call him out when he does things that are going to hurt the, 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 the degree and hurt the students. Um, but I'm giving him some grace for a little bit. I'm going to give him some grace. I'm going to see how he does. Uh, and if he starts going down the, this crazy line of these MAGA stuff, um, I'll be the first one to be holding up that picket sign with the students on campus. Do you think they can pull some? I've been thinking about this. I'm going to do my digging in the ashtray. Um, on my news, Florida news topics. I've been trying to think, do you think they can do something like new college at these uh, big universities? <sighs> Nothing's stopping DeSantis to do that. I mean, so if you, for those who, who don't know, is that right back, since 2002, every university has a board of trustees that's appointed by the governor. And so that is, I mean, you've got four-year positions, but I mean, he can certainly come in and remove people or threaten them to take them off the board of trustees, put new trustees in, um, and the trustees will make the decisions from the hiring and the firing of the university presidents. And I know that right now there was legislation that he didn't propose, but certainly was in drafting that wanted to do more emboldening and empowering of the board of trustees on these universities. And those are all, uh, you know, those are all appointments. And so the first appointments came from Jeb. So we know in the last 22 years that all of those appointments are all by Republicans. It's scary, it's scary, scary times. It's scary. Now you, you stayed in the, what made you, you went to, uh, you said a big firm in Jacksonville, correct? After yep. graduation, then you came back to Lachua County. Now, my family is from Lachua County. All my people are down in the Lachua. Oh, Brooklyn. you're an ACR. Yeah, <laughs> in Brooklyn, and, uh, and we got property in Brooklyn, Archer, and different places around that area. But what made you want to call Alachua uh, County your home for a little bit? You know, there, there's just something special about Gainesville. I always call it Mecca. You know, that there's just, uh, you know, a, a, a special, like, because it's so different than any other city. Florida, um, the, the culture and the excitement of the campus and just the, even the development. If you go back now, you're, you're seeing all these new um, campus buildings and, and even on campus life. And there's just something really exciting about being in a true college town. I mean, we don't have a lot of true college towns. I mean, most of our universities are in, you know, Tampa, Orlando, um, Jacksonville, so big cities. 
but Gainesville is is a true college town and there's just there's I don't know when I, I get into that like there's so there's a 50 I don't know if you've ever noticed that there's that antique um off the road of 75 there's like a, an antique antique mall is like a, a house that's right there uh, and and I always know that when you pass that house coming from the south it's 15 minutes to Archer and so I always look at that as like my landmark and like there's just like a, this giddy feeling that I get um you know pulling in to, and pulling in and seeing I've got 15 more minutes until I get into Gainesville. Uh, so there's always a desire to come back. I think still probably my dream job is to one day be president of the university uh, because I just, that's how much I love the city. That's how much I love the, the excitement of the students. I mean, I was there as a public defender when we had the back-to-back -back, um, basketball and then and the football national championship. And that's just, just this excitement. And what's awesome about college campuses and, and I, and I don't hope that this changes people didn't talk about the divisiveness of partisan politics. Like you cared about your university, you cared about the sports, you, but and you, all of this other drama that is happening outside of the, of, of, in the state and the country, like you kind of have a safe haven. And, and I really hope that that continues to stay the same way um, going forward. What made you be a public defender? I know a lot of people on in the black community, we don't really look to a public defender as being honest and, and going to go, you know, as far as a, a lawyer, a, a lawyer that you hire um, or have on payroll would. Um, but what made you be a public defender and be a stand-up public defender in Washington County? Yep. Um, you know, when I first graduated law school, um, I never really wanted to practice. Like that wasn't like my. I always I have a master's in campaigning. I'm a student vice president. Um, I've always wanted to do some type of public service. That was always my passion. And when I graduated, I actually didn't have a job right away because I, I I didn't do the clerkships. I didn't do all the, the traditional tr track. And so I had somebody who I knew from UF who said, hey, what, I've got you know this firm. Why don't you come? And so I went to the big firm and I was there for about a year and a few months. And I hated every moment of it. I was doing commercial litigation and I had no courtroom experience. I just was doing research and writing. And I just remember coming home and feeling so unfulfilled. And like, this is not why I got my law degree. I didn't go into my law degree to, to represent corporations. I went to my, get my law degree to, to do good. And I said, okay, well, where do I, how do I go do that? And, and that's when I said, okay, let me move to where I can put my law degree, my passion, and wanted to move back to Gainesville and found the public defender's office. And what was interesting is because you're absolutely right. You know, so many of my, you know, my clients or every time I go visit my clients in jail, um, there was just this, this sentiment that public defenders um, didn't always fight as hard as they should for their clients. Um, and that's not because they don't have passion for their clients. It's because more so that um, they're overworked. I mean, most of the times, most public defenders have, you know, 1,500 cases. That is near to impossible to be able to work really hard and all the witnesses and take every case to trial. And I just was like, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to change the perception here in, in my clients. And I was out there. I was continuously showing up to visit. And even, I'm sorry, I'm plugging my, my, my computer is about to die, so I'm going to go charge that thing. And and I knew that, and I said this all the time to my clients, I'm all you got. Like, I, don't lie to me. You don't have to tell me all the truth, but don't lie to me because the state attorney's not on your side. The cops aren't on your side. The witnesses aren't necessarily on your side. I'm all you got. So let's work together on this. Don't bullshit me. Like, I'm going to do the best I can, but 
if you're going to lie to me, I'm, I'm not going to be able to defend you well. So, um, but I always gave that spiel to every one of my clients. Look, I'm here for you. I'm your client. I'm not supposed to be your friend, but I'm going to represent you to the best of my ability. As a, as a public defender, do you still hold those same uh, qualities now um, when you go and you're running for different positions? Without a doubt. That, that is just, that's just who I am. I'm somebody who shows up for other people. Um, I'm somebody who fights for those who haven't traditionally had a seat at the table. Um, I'm somebody who tries to, to raise people up and to give them a, a chance. It's why, you know, I, even in my time after I left the public defender's office, I moved back down to South Florida during the foreclosure crisis. And so I was representing homeowners uh, whose banks were about to take their homes. And, and the same thing after I left that and went to government consulting, I was representing foster care kids and I was representing um, Broward School Board and I was representing the expansion of medical cannabis in our state. And so always I, I lead with my heart and I lead with my passion and and sometimes that steers me wrong. Um, sometimes it gets me in trouble because I'm, I'm so passionate that I sometimes have tunnel vision. Um, but that's just kind of who I am. I've always been from a little kid. Uh, always would wake up and say, what can I do to make the world a better place today? Like, so taking on, you took an office, we jump jumping ahead a little bit, but you took a, a position that there was no other Democrat running. You had Ashley Moody, which is another female that was running um, at the same time in 2018. But what made you say, I know this is going to be an uphill battle. I'm going to still take on this challenge. Who, who, who drives that in your, in your life? Who drives that, that motivation? You know, um, a little bit of me, but also, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, you know, so in 2018, I did not expect to be the only Democrat, you know, elected. You know, I was running on a ticket, Andrew Gillum and Senator Moore, uh, Senator Nelson um, and Sean Shaw for attorney general and, and Jeremy Ring for, for CFO. I really thought that there was going to be more of us. And when I turned around and I was the only one who got across the finish line, it was a daunting experience because I... I didn't, I, I've never, I, I, just, I never thought that that was, I was going to be the only Democrat. And, and then here I am in, in this new role, trying to learn about agriculture, trying to learn about the job and my positions. And all of a sudden I've got half the state who is expecting me to be their voice. And I take that very seriously that, you know, people, I take that if somebody goes into the ballot box and, and cast their ballot for me, they're giving me their proxy because they believe that I'm going to represent them. And so I take that very seriously. And so every day I try to look when I was commissioner through, through the prism of those eyes. You know, is there another conversation that needs to be had? Who am I fighting for? Is there, you know, as, as our governor continued to, to, to divide our state, I said, okay, well, he's doing this. There's a whole section of our state that doesn't have a voice right now. How can I make sure that they've got a voice and, 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 and I can defend them? And it was not always easy. Um, I got attacked from, from all sides, uh, including my own Democrats uh, who thought I wasn't doing enough or, you know, and, and Republicans who were attacking me for doing too much. And, and so it was kind of in this just very odd place that I was in. Uh, and so every day was just trying to figure out where where is my voice appropriate? Where is my voice helpful? Um, I don't like to just bitch to bitch, um, but where can I make sure that I'm standing up for these that are important to people? Got you, man. I like to say I don't talk just to talk, man. It's the reason why you talk. You gotta have a reason why you talking, man. And Nikki, that's one reason why I respect you because watching you from when you started in 2018, my mom, she was the uh, food service manager of Marion County, so she kind of told me how um, Adam Putnam, how he operated. So I knew 
I didn't really, I didn't really see eye to eye with him. Um, when I was happy that he left, you came in, and I started researching you. So, one thing I like about you is you stand on what you say, and you mean what you say when you say it. You came in saying that you were going to attack water, weapons, and weed, marijuana. Yep. Like, how hard was that to stick to that? You know, it was other things that would could draw you away from your main priorities. How hard was that to keep that? your main priorities and stick to your word? You know, it, it really was, you know, every day um, my chief of staff and I would have conversations to make sure that the policies that were coming out um, of the department were in line. So every every month we basically would have a checklist. Okay, what have we done on these issues this month? What have we done to make sure that we're advancing environmental policies? What are we doing to make sure that we're, you know, closing loopholes inside of, of gun licensing? What are we doing to, you know, really come there on, on marijuana and not just medical, but but full legalization and, and the black farmers. And so we really, on a contiguous basis, um, always, it was always a check, you know, does this fall in line with, with what we campaigned on? And the hardest part really for, for these four years was really two parts. One, we had, we had a pandemic. And, and so all of the things that I campaigned for, all the things that, you know, were, were my priorities and, and promises had to go onto the back burner. Um, to make sure that we were getting our state through the pandemic, making sure, you know, that food, talking about, you know, food services, making sure that our, our kids were still being fed when the schools were closed, making sure that the food banks were operating and being helpful, making sure that that, that our agriculture industry that was seeing almost $500 million worth of economic losses um, because, you know, Disney and the cruise line industry and um, restaurants and everything was closed, they had no one to, to send their food to. And so all the things that I campaigned on had to go onto the back burner. And that, that was hard. Um, but it also gained me a lot of opportunities to show my voice as well because I was stepping up. And, and look, the pandemic in the grand scheme of things was obviously not any no one, no one could be prepared for what we just all went through. No elected official, no business CEO, um, no, no teacher, no parent, no one knew what we were doing. And so I really saw this as an opportunity to show a different side of governing um, when you had a one-sided front from, from our governor and, and do the right thing on the other side. So that was one thing. The other was the fact that I did not anticipate having to be the point on almost everything that DeSantis was doing. And so that sometimes took us away from our mission. Um, and that's a little bit of, of hindsight 2020. Like, I, you know, there's some things that, that maybe I shouldn't have gone so forceful against DeSantis. But the problem was no one else was doing it and no one else was standing up. And, and so I understood that if I let him just do him, uh, there's going to be a whole section of our, of our state that was not being represented. Yeah, that's one, that's one thing I would always hear you say, um, especially when uh, we were on uh, when we were on lockdown and we couldn't really go out really. I mean, he wasn't having any meetings. Did he have any? Did you know we're having virtual meetings? Mm -mm. He can't. He canceled all cabinet meetings. He canceled clemency meetings, even when you know he's now you know COVID denier and, and you know all the things that he stands for. Now, you know he was like, oh, we can't have a cabinet meeting because we can't be in the cabinet room. But meanwhile, he'd have a press conference like the next day with like his doctors and all these people in the cabinet room. So it was really to make sure that I didn't have a voice. And that's not just my voice, but the voice of the people that I was representing. You know, there was 8.3 million Floridians that voted in my election, and I got about 4.2 million of those. So I represent 4.2 million um, that voted for me. And I've always said in any election, um, I don't just represent the people that I that voted for me. 
I represent the whole state and, and showing um, a different vantage point. But yeah, he canceled meetings. He didn't put me on the reopening task force. Uh, it became an absolute um, dysfunctional relationship come March of 2020. Being an agriculture commissioner, um, what all did that entail? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so the department, um, which most people don't know, is Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the day-to-day operations of the office, we've got 19 divisions. Um, agriculture in and of itself, we've got 46,000 working farms and ranches, 2 million people people in agriculture. It's a $1.3 billion agency, um, $137 billion economic impact. And so all things agriculture related, everything from aquaculture to cattle, to to citrus, to fruits and vegetables, to nurserymen, um, to exports, to imports. I mean, the whole, the whole gamut, fertilizers and pesticides, all of that. Um, then it's the consumer aspects. Um, that's everything from our school nutrition program to our food banks, uh, to our concealed weapons program, to um, nonprofit organizations, fair rides, um, PIs, maps and surveyors. Um, it, it just kind of like if they didn't know where else to put it, they put it inside the Department of Agriculture. And so every day was different because every day there was a different issue that bubbled up that we had to tackle. And that was just our day-to-day responsibilities, not even going off of like my agenda items. And then you're a member of the cabinet. And so it's overseeing and, and you know, the cabinet agencies are you know, Department of Environmental Protection to the Office of Insurance Regulation, Office of Financial Regulation, Highway and Motor Vehicles, Veterans Affairs, all report to the cabinet. So you also have a responsibility to deal with all these. And we also are the trustees for the land of our state and a member of the clemency board. So every day is just completely different uh and certainly these four years with with the pandemic really created just a, something that i didn't anticipate obviously yeah um i was watching one of the interviews today preparing for the episode and i didn't i didn't really know that y'all uh y'all regulated rides fair rides you just said fair rides and the incident that happened down in orlando at the uh the ride down in orlando yeah yeah so and i was like man i didn't know y'all regulated that and to hear that when something changes, that somebody uh, the, you're, they're supposed to go in and, and review those changes that the, the fair fair made for the, uh, the rides. Uh, that, I was just like, man, I didn't know anything about that because we always talk about don't uh, don't trust the people who are at the fair who build. <laughs> so, and, and that's, that's kind of true. Like, yeah, <laughs> let's just say this: I wouldn't necessarily put a family member on some of those rides. Uh, <laughs> But, but yeah, so what we do is, you know, we make sure that before anybody goes on to the rides that we go in and we inspect the rides, making sure that they followed all the manufacturer protocols and operations. Um, and, and so we don't go back in and, and do spot checks afterwards once they've gotten our seal off. Um, and that's what happened with the icon park is the ride operator um, intentionally manipulated the ride after we got through and, and, and spot checked. And so the ride is supposed to have one in age, uh, a, um, a weight restriction and the magnetic side. So it's a free fall. And so the magnetics is supposed to, you know, close close enough that, you know, that you've got a little bit of space just to, but what was happening is because you had a weight limit that people that are larger were not able to go onto the ride. And so the operators decided to, extend the magnetism of, of those things. And so basically somebody larger, which is unfortunately this young man, um, got onto the ride and had a huge, a larger gap. 
And so when the gravitation went all the way up, it always will expand a little bit much at the top, but it expanded because of its weight, because of the fact that there was already a separation, it expanded so much that he just slipped right out. And um, there's pieces of legislation based on the things that we uncovered um, in, in this investigation that we have an incredible uh, state senator who is running that bill, who's from that district, uh, to close any of those loops for the future. That's good, man, that's good. I appreciate you for going in detail. I know that's something that so much news happens, we forget about things that happen. So that's good that detail about that. But you had to be in the agriculture commission. You had to speak with the environmentalists, the cattle ranchers, the, the farmers, man. Um, and how hard was that? The men, oh, men, these three different sides, they both have opinions about how to help the environment. How hard was that to mend them together and y'all all work together? Because I know you passed the bill about uh, farming and the water. Um, I believe water uh, pollution. You know, it's interesting because, you know, when I walked into the office, to your point, that everybody thinks that there is a complete um, animosity and divisiveness between the environmental side and agriculture. And I think that there has been, there's definitely bad actors in agriculture, for sure. Um, but the reality is, is that most of agriculture are the best stewards of the land. And especially because if you think about it, you know, yes, they need to want to make profits, but they're third, fourth, fifth generation and love the land. Our cattlemen are like they're out there every day. They love the, the nature aspects. And, and so their land management, they will do nothing that is going to harm the environment. And look, at the end of the day, the cattle were here before we are. So it's not that the cattle have destroyed the environment. It's, it's we, the people people have read the environment and but coming in and and being able to kind of see all perspectives and and of course you know there is the extremes on both sides there are the bad actors on 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 ag that we really worked really hard to get them into compliance to do best management protocols to make sure that we are lifting up the ones that are doing good to show them as an example but there's also the extremes on the other side who thinks all of agriculture should go away and and i said well that's not practical like that's not practical we all need to eat um, you know, always think a farmer because we wouldn't, you know, we, we have to eat our food, um, but making sure that we're working together, that if there's bad pro protocols, how do we fix them? How do we make them? Because no farmer is going to put extra fertilizer on their land. That's an added expense. Like they're not going to do that um, unless they need it. And then in that case, then they need it. But it definitely was kind of a, this, this balancing act that quite honestly, no previous commissioner probably ever even looked at or, or wanted to create that balance. It was all here and the environmentalists never had a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And so we came in and we really tried to like make people work together, um, look at things in a, in, a, in a very, you know, perspective of like, we want agriculture to survive and to, and to be prosperous because that's my job as commissioner of agriculture to promote agriculture, but also in the same respect, knowing we need to protect our land for generations to come and how do we merge those. Um, but that was one of the things that for sure was one of the harder things that we had to, to, you know, to weave through. How, like, I don't, I was thinking, is there a more diverse agriculture, uh, like a state agriculture than Florida? I know Hawaii probably, but Florida's got to be one of the, the top two. For sure. Because if you think about other, first of all, we, in Florida, we are one of the largest, if not the largest, agriculture department in the country. Um, most agriculture commissioners are not elected. Uh, there is only 12 or 13 elected in the entire country. 
Um, and most are from either the Midwest or South or the, or the South um, because of the impact of agriculture. Um, but as far as diversity, no, we've got everything. You know, we've got that that fifth generation white farmer. Um, we've got our, our, our black farmers are unfortunately getting diminished. Um, we're, we're down to less than than, than a thousand black farmers in, in our state when it used to be hundreds of thousands, even if it's just small farmers. Um, our Hispanic community, um, a huge Asian population um, that, that is an agriculture that you wouldn't necessarily see every single day. Um, so the diversity of our state bleeds definitely into your culture. And, and you've got everything from, again, those traditional agriculturalists to those that are doing really cool hydroponics and vertical grows and really cool things with agriculture and kind of this new I don't want to use the word hippie, but this new like wave of how of how to sustainable agriculture. Um, and so it's fun to watch all the different moving parts inside of agriculture and everybody's takes on this. Is it? Is I've seen there's a lot of talk about stopping uh, China from buying property in Florida. Is there an influx of uh, the Chinese government trying to buy property in Florida, or is that just something? That's political nonsense. Um, I didn't see it. Um, I didn't see it for four, four years. Um, it certainly, here's the bigger problem, you know, and this is something that I really tried to tackle as commissioner, how to keep agricultural land in agriculture. Um, we know that we have to increase by 2050, almost 70% of the world's um, ag outputs, food outputs, because of the increase of population across the world. And in Florida, the, the heart and soul of Florida has always been agriculture. Look, we, we've got the, we've got, you know, citrus, we've got our oranges on our license plates. You know, this has been who we are. I mean, talking about Gator Nation, you know, Ben Hill Griffin was the, the you know, the, the godfather of, of citrus in our state. Um, and, and so agriculture is such an, a, a heritage and such a part of the culture of our state. And it's been really difficult for, for Florida farmers between citrus greening, between unfair trade practices, weather conditions. And so you're seeing a lot of farmers and ranchers giving up, saying, I, I, I can't do this anymore. The younger generation saying, I don't want to work as hard as my parents are just to barely make ends meet. And so they're selling their land. And as you see more and more people are moving into the state, we have to find places for these people to live. And so the land, because Really, really valuable. And so it's really hard to, to how to, you know, find a way to make them more profitable to keep them inside of agriculture. So they are selling their land. Um, I never saw it necessarily as Chinese investments. I didn't see it. Um, but, you know, maybe I just wasn't hearing the other side of who exactly was buying the land. I just assumed it was development in general um, and did everything I could to keep agricultural land in agriculture. Gotcha, man. Um, and what was What's citrus greening real quick? Citrus greening is a, is a disease. Um, it is a disease that came um, it came on some um, some fruits that came from out of out of the country. And it's a disease that it, it says greening because the outside look more green, but it also um, attacks the fruit. And so the fruit is not as sweet. The oranges don't develop to full, you know, full juicing potential. And it makes the fruits also not pretty. And it sounds so like horrible to say this, but when you're in the store and you're looking to buy an orange, um, you're looking for the pretty oranges. And, and so Florida oranges are, are not really right now inside of, of as much as they used to be inside of our food stores. It's still being used for, for juice. 
Um, but that has been something that's really decimated so much of our citrus industry because it, it's it, it basically travels through air, through the soil. And so if you are infected, the entire grove gets infected. And so we have lost so many of our acres of citrus. I mean, you used to travel through our state and you could smell oranges and you can smell the citrus. And some of our, our, our counties just had groves for miles upon miles. And right now we are down to about 450,000 acres of citrus, um, which is, uh, you know, I think, almost one third less, two thirds less than what we used to have. Yeah, um, it was saying uh, the notes that I have uh, said that that's less than half of the crops. 93%, it's a 93% decline since 1998. That's a huge decline uh, for that amount of years. Uh, that's a pretty big decline on. Um, but my family, we own land down in Gainesville, like I said, um, in Brooker, um, Brooker, Florida, and the Archer. Um, and one thing that we notice is sometimes the African American community in the rural areas they're kind of left out of the loop as far as uh, farming meetings and different things like that. Um, what did you do as in in office uh, to try to make sure the black farmer had a voice? Yeah, and, and this is something that, that we really worked hard on um, because, look, when I first came in in agriculture, I didn't necessarily understand what was happening and the, the, de the significant decrease of black farmers in our state and why that was important and, and you mean why that, why that trend was really in the wrong direction. And so we spent a lot of time and what was also dis discouraging is that there isn't like Farm Bureau, like, you know, like in Farm Bureau and Penn, like Polk County Farm Bureau, they know who all farms in that county you know they know their membership there is there used to be a black farmers association they don't even know who all their members are so even to get to to know and to and who to contact and where our black farmers are was was even a huge obstacle to begin with um, but we made sure that we were you know having a more direct impact and in, uh, involvement with famu which is our other land grant university um, that has a lot of black farmers that are, are continuously involved in kind of their the industry over there. Um, we did roundtables um, with our black legislators to, you know, kind of talk through some of the issues that they're having on the ground and, and potentially put forth legislation to fix some of those issues, everything from even grant writing for the USDA grants and getting access to capital. We also, you know, see discrimination still and, and capital uh, that you, like, and I use this always as an example, like there is a, a farm credit out in the panhandle. And I say, let's say they've got $100 million they're giving out for grants or for, for loans, and they may receive 200 applications or whatever. 90% of the money that gets out goes to white farmers, even though that 90% of the applicants are black farmers. And, and so we really put a lot of pressure on the Office of Financial Regulation to come in, um, look at some of these, these practices that are happening in our farm credits and some other of our state chartered banks to see if there's ways to really push um, these banks to think differently and to look differently. Uh, and so we really worked hard to try to elevate those conversations. And unfortunately, um, fortunately and unfortunately, that President Biden had put out, I think it was close to over a billion dollars that were supposed to go to disenfranchised farmers across the country. And that money was supposed to help pay off, whether it's loans or on, on equipment, to really kind of help recognize in that there has been significant discrimination and from the USDA and from the federal government on giving out loans. And uh, I had lots of meetings and with um, with the USDA and, and different roundtables and meetings with black farmers, explaining to how them how this program was going to work. And what was interesting, two things: one, 
was a daunting experience for me because a lot of these black farmers said, well, that's great that you're going to pay off my loan if I was able to get a loan to begin with. And it was like one of those, like, we got a bigger problem here. They couldn't even get money. Like, I'm glad that we got all this money that's going to go to these black farmers and to these disenfranchised farmers to pay off loans. But if they couldn't get the loans to begin with, um, we got a big problem. And then on top of that, the white farmers sued and called a discrimination. And now that entire program is sitting in litigation um, and that money cannot be dispersed as it was intended to be dispersed from the Biden administration. See, they don't say that. I didn't know about that part. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Nikki, man, what's what's up with this with the uh, the, the black farmers and the medical marijuana? Like, <laughs> one thing you don't understand is why I understand. All right, the medical marijuana part, the doctors and the physicians that's ran by the Department of Health. Why doesn't the Department of Agriculture run uh, who grows if that's what agriculture? Ah, that is a fantastic question. And I think you mentioned his name about a couple minutes previous into this uh, conversation. When they were first creating the medical marijuana program uh, and trying to figure out where to put it, and and, um, Adam Putin didn't want it. He said, I don't want it here in the Department of Agriculture. I want nothing to do with this. And so the Department of Health went over and went over there. And so that's kind of why it is over with the Department of Health and not in uh, the Department of Agriculture on the growing of a crop. But yes. Welcome to politics of Florida. Oh man, <laughs> I can't believe this, man. Oh, I see they're going to allow twenty. I, I think they're going to give twenty-two more applications out. Um, yep. but for four days, you get four days to apply for for the April twenty-fourth through the twenty-eighth. So, so no, the app, well, so the applications are out. So if anybody wants to apply, you, you start, I mean, it takes months to get these things into, into order. So the applications are due April 24th to 28th. All so right. I you to, to, to submit your application. But this has been something that has been a real big sore subject. And, and I guess I'm talking about your, your, your smokescreen podcast, you know, talking about, about the cannabis world. And I'm going to be preaching to the choir. You know, we know that now, White people, white men in particular, were making millions upon millions of dollars across the country when it came to this industry. And, and people that look like you are still sitting in jail in prisons across our country and are not able to participate in, in this new this new green explosion. And what happened in Florida in particular, and this kind of ties in some of the things that we were just talking about, is that when they created the program, they had these parameters in order to even apply, that you had to be a 30-year nursery with a 400,000 plant capacity. Well, we also know that 30 plus years ago, now we're looking at 40 years because this was first passed in 2014, um, that black farmers didn't have access to, to, to grants, didn't have access to that kind of land for 400,000 plants. And so when they first did that rounds of applications, there were no black farmers or minority farmers that were even eligible to apply for this. And they realized in 2017 that they got a big problem on their hands. Um, and so for those who don't know about the Pickford um, lawsuit against the USDA, um, but basically it said that there was discrimination um, back in the day of giving out grants and loans to, to minority farmers. And, and they won. And, and so they then added in the legislature, I think in 2017, that they said, if you were a member of that black Pigford plaintiff's class, uh, they're going to allocate one license um, to that class of people. 
and they only just recently, so the law passed in 2017, trying to fix what they did a few years earlier, and they just, just this year, handed out the black farmer's license in 2023. Um, or maybe it was the latter part, maybe it was November, December of last year, but within the last few months. Um, and that's a problem. I mean, so right now we've got 23 license holders. Um, one is the black farmers and everything else. There's one other minority owned, which is cookies. cookies um, yeah. But cookies bought into the industry. It wasn't like they received the, the application. Um, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking burner and all that owns cookies. I was thinking he was going to get that one license. And I was like, man, that's not going to be right to give it to somebody that's coming from outside. It should be somebody that's in the state, but I'm glad that he was able to go and buy, uh, yeah. get his license on. Um, um, yep. But I know you got to go. Uh, you got another meet, so I don't want to hold you too much uh, longer. But uh, what what is a Florida Dem uh, Democratic chair? <laughs> well, um, yeah, as, as you know, I'm running for for chair. Uh, that election is Saturday. Um, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, we've got a lot of work to do, and it wasn't just the results of the November election where we got crushed. Um, but it's really been 30 years in the making. We haven't had a Democrat elected to governor since 1994. Um, this is the first time since the 1800s that there's been no statewide elected Democrat um, and that the Republicans have a supermajority in both members. And so we got to be doing some soul searching inside the Democratic Party. And as chair, that's what I would be doing, helping to reorganize us on the ground, get back to the basics, be talking to our minority communities, not taking any vote for granted, making sure we're investing in communities, uh, making sure that our brand is, is back on par. Um, our brand is back right now you know people are shying away from being a democrat and this is not just in florida but it's across the country and so we have to do better on, on changing that brand um i am a, a fighter i stand up for what i believe in and and trying to show democrats that it's okay to, to fight it's okay to stand up i mean i'm just going to talk out, out of turn here like you and i would not have rights today if people didn't fight for us you know, between the women's suffrage and the civil rights movement and the ending of slavery, um, people fought and died for, for our rights. And, and now we're seeing a world where, where that's all um, in limbo and, and being, you know, potentially infringed upon once again. And so now as Democrats, we've got to stand up and fight again. And that means bringing coalitions together, um, not just Democrats, but independents and, and, and Republicans who care about democracy and, and civility. Uh, the Where the, the radicalization of the Republican Party has gone it is in the wrong direction. And so as our Democratic Party chair, it's going to be my job to reorganize the Democrats, uh, show them how to fight, give them hope, give them inspiration, and, and bring some more wins to the Democrats uh, in the next election cycles. Yes, man. And, and you... You've uh, a lot of people say, well, uh, Nikki helped campaign for other uh, Republicans um, in the past, um, but that that allows you to be able to talk to both sides and use that to your advantage and help out the Democrats if you are elected. Um, knock on wood, uh, when you are elected uh, for this chair. So, is that something that you're looking to do and make sure that you're listening to everybody, um, especially the black vote voice? Because a lot of my people don't think that voting matters anymore. So that's one thing I'm gonna tell you. You need to really, y'all really need to attack um, as far as uh, it's fully, fully to the extent. Um, but uh, wh what are you looking for uh, towards, uh, and who are you looking to help you uh, do this in the future? All hands on deck. 
Um, and this means that a lot of the communities that we have been leaving behind, including the black community, um, we need to make sure. And, and I said this a lot during my, my run for governor, that so many times white politicians come to the black community and say, vote, 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 like your life depends on it. Vote, vote, vote. And then you don't get a return on that vote. And, and the electeds just kind of go and they do their own policies and they do their own issues and don't remember who got them there. And, and that is really important to me. That's I, I pay homage every single day to the people that got me here. Um, and then I say this also very frankly, I would not be sitting here today as you know the immediate past commissioner of agriculture if it wasn't for the black community. And granted, they're coming out for me. They're coming out for Andrew, um, but they came out. And because of that, I was elected commissioner. I will never forget that. And I think that's what makes me different, too, is because I know that and I understand it and I respect it. And too many uh, white politicians come to the black community and say, you know, we got to talk about criminal justice reform and we got to talk about guns. And at the end of the day, no, we got to talk about economic opportunities. We got to talk about investing in these communities and lifting people up and giving them opportunities to, to be successful because all that other stuff goes away when you have economic opportunities. And, and that's you know always the vantage point. Look, everything comes full circle in my life. When I was in the public defender's office, I got frustrated because I kept seeing the same people in my office all the time. And I said, how do we fix this and not keep people on, on this you know criminal justice wheel? And, and I got frustrated because I was like, I, all I'm doing at this point is just defending people. How to get them to not be in the system to begin with. And so I really saw that my experience as a PD, seeing it from a different vantage point, made my, my policy you know, perspective different and say, how do we keep people out of that? And that always comes back into economics and jobs and getting people you know, educated and making sure that our schools are up to par and that everybody has an equal opportunity for an educational environment. And, and so, so much that I, that I live with is it's how to make this better because I think totality um, that's how we also you know make sure that that our minority communities know that we're going to fight for them because we're listening we're hearing and we're trying to problem solve at the, at the core of, of the issue and not just try to placate talking points gotcha, and Nikki man in closing out I don't know you're 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 Jewish Nikki you know, how important one thing I I like and I respect that you did because I love Martin Luther King and one thing I noticed Dr. King, towards the end of his life, he tried to make sure the Jewish and the black community came together. How important is that for the Jewish and the black community to come together and stop? We see anti-Semitism stuff going around, and then they're removing black books out of, black authors out of the libraries. How important is it for us to come together, no matter what confusion we might have in between, let's come together and let's fight what's going on in this state. Essential. Absolutely imperative. I mean, look, we marched with Dr. King. We helped start NAACP. Um, we've been in the trenches together. Look at what happened in Georgia. You, you have, you know, a, a U.S. senator who's black and a U.S. senator who's Jewish. And you saw in the 2020 election how they came together and they campaigned together. Um, during BLM, um, I called really right after George Floyd was murdered. I called every single member of, of the Black Caucus and I said, look, I, I can never walk in your shoes. But please know that I'm here to be in the trenches and fighting with you. And I even had a lot of, um, you know, podcasts during that time period in a lot of the temples, including I spoke at, back at my temple um, during the pandemic, during all of this. And, and I said to, to the Jewish community, I said, we've got to step up again. I said, 
this, the black community is under attack. I said, it is, we have always been in the trenches with them. Don't shy away from it now. And, and so I have been a huge proponent of that. And I've said that, that the Jewish community and black community have always been aligned and, and it will always be uh, my mission to make sure that those coalitions stay united because you're absolutely right. The rise of racism and anti-Semitism um, is happening. It is happening in our state. It is happening in our country. And if we don't unite together to fight that hatred, because it's hatred on both sides, that we've got to fight that together. I don't mean both sides like Democrat, public, like both sides of like the, the Jewish and, and black, that we have to come together and we, we are so much stronger when we are united. Absolutely. Man, that was everything. This episode was everything I needed, man. I appreciate you for coming on, Nikki, man. Let the people know where they can follow you at and what's next for Nikki Free. So I'm all over social media. All you got to do is Google me. Um, you're seeing I, I'm Nikki Freed, uh, Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. As long as we still have time, it sounds like we were getting it banned across the country. <laughs> um, but until that time, I'm on TikTok. Um, I'm on Facebook for those who still watch and watch, you know, subscribe to Facebook for my mom's generation. Um, but I, I'm everywhere. I'm very accessible. Uh, you know, hit me up. I, 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 my, my team has always said that I'm accessible because I'm sitting at night and I'm responding to DMs and messaging and <laughs> that's how I <laughs> that's just, you know, cause I, I'm again, like I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm just a different type of unelected and a different type of, of you know, public servant, because I, I don't want to just be sitting in an iron own and, and governing, you know, it's really important to me to be consistently listening and interacting with people and hearing their concerns. And I can't always help everybody and on every issue, but my God, I'm going to try. Gotcha, man. Nikki, real quick, this permanent bill, do you think they try to pass this after you got out of office? Which one? The permit, the permitless carry bill. Yeah, that, that's that's really dangerous. Um, and, and it's interesting that they would try passing it when I'm out of office because it definitely depletes the, the power of the Department of Agriculture and oversights of that. I'm actually surprised that with a Republican back in, in the helm of that, that they would do it now and they didn't do it you know, last year or the year before. Um, but this is the wrong direction for our state. Uh, this makes it more dangerous when an, a law enforcement officer um, shows up to a scene. They don't know who the good guy and who the bad guy is. And I'm also going to say something that I know I don't have to be saying it to you. Um, but you're going to see a lot more black men being shot um, because you're not going to know who, who's good and who's bad. And, and you're going to see a lot more of that type of, of, of gun violence in, in, our, in our state. How long do you think it's going to take to reverse all this stuff on this empty system? You know, if I do my job as, as our party chair um, and start getting more Democrats elected up and down the butt, um, it's going to take some time because we got to get a majority back into the chambers and get him and his MAGA crazy um, out of Tallahassee um, because there are some moderate Republicans that are not bad people, um, but they drank the Kool-Aid of Ron DeSantis right now. And, and so as soon as he goes away, and I don't mean go away like to the White House, I mean like go away, um, that I think that some of them will start to be rational again. Uh, and that's my hope. But the more Democrats we get there and the more checks and balances, the more opportunities that we have to reverse some of course on some of these issues. If he runs, what happens if he runs? So so what happens when he he's going to run? Um, I don't think there's any qualms about that. Um, when he runs, the legislature is going to be changing the law this session so we don't have to resign. Um, even though that law was changed to uh, make sure it was a Charlie Chris law, but they will make sure that he does not have to resign to run. Um, 
God forbid, he becomes president of the United States, his lieutenant governor becomes governor. Um, and then that lieutenant governor will be basically the incumbent if they so choose to run for re-election 26. So that is everything that I'm going to be doing between now and 24 is to make sure that more Democrats are elected in Florida and that Ron DeSantis stays put as governor. Um, and so that we can say Saranara to him and his political career in, in 26. You got a long road to toe, man, but there's nobody better. I think that can do it in Florida. than you, man. Nikki, I appreciate you coming on, man. I like to let my guests pick a song to close it out to what song you want to listen to on the outro. Oh my God. That's so easy. That Tom Petty's won't back down. I knew you were going to choose it, man. I follow you on Twitter. I knew you were going to choose it. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. And it's so wonderful. Tom Petty wouldn't like what's going on in this state right now. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. I appreciate y'all for watching live Smoke Screen Podcast, and I appreciate y'all for listening on the audio version, man. Nikki Freed, I appreciate you for coming on, man. I appreciate you. I uh, thank you for having me on tonight. Gotcha. No problem. I appreciate y'all.